Hi there, and welcome to the Oompal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode number 55, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with the American pipe maker Wayne Typen. Wayne's work really jumped out at me during one of the shows this past year, and I'm more than happy to introduce him to all of you wonderful listeners out there if you don't know of his work already. This podcast is made possible by my friends over at PipesAndCigars.com. This is exciting. Go over to PipesAndCigars.com and take a peek at the monstrosity pipes they have available right now. One of the things you'll see is a Ventriculita Obscura series that I recently created. There are only six in this limited edition run, each made of lovely Mimo Briar, Delrin tenons, and hand-cut stems. But the story that goes with them is what really makes them wonderful for me. Each pipe comes with the story behind the series, how back in the old country, when briar ran scarce, pixies were often hired to acquire gnome hearts for use as the bowls to the pipes. The story explains the shapes of the pipes as well as why the tenons are white, why there are three blue and three red. Hint, it has something to do with gnome blood oxygenation. So with each pipe, not only do you get a little brochure that tells the story, but you also get an amazing art print of this rough-and-tumble pipe-smoking pixie lass that has just, let's say, secured the useful heart from the gnome that will soon be used for a pipe. The artwork is done by Russ Hicks, a good friend of mine who has more than his fair share of talent at accurately depicting my story, which many will recognize as nothing less than the truth. This is this is a very true story. This is what happens. Um, what a great art print to go with one heck of a unique limited series. Go grab one right now, only available at pipesandcigars.com. And if you like to just grab a print, they are available all by themselves over at umpal.com under available pipes. And you know, they would make really great and inexpensive gifts this time of year, if you get my drift. The mysterious Howling Halloween Harvest was a major success, and no less than 13 pipe smokers are now burdened with the Howler series pipes, the first set of cursed pipes in the Monstrosity line, and probably the last, since that was my last favor I had to call in with the Voodoo Priestess of the Black Forest of Auburn, which, if you don't know where that is, it's just uh, southeast of Nod by about seven or eight Persian parasangs, so not very far at all. If you happen to miss out on the mysterious Howling Halloween Harvest, the next blind sale will be on Black Friday, so that's right around the corner. Be sure and subscribe either to my email newsletter by sending me an email with your full name to Oli, O-L-I-E, the number one at Mac.com or and or follow me on Instagram at Oli PS and the number three or and or Twitter at Baron Oli. So far, it looks like there will only be maybe five Black Friday items, though goodness knows what could happen in the underground, heavily guarded labs of the great Oom Palace between now and then. Good luck. The following podcast was recorded on September 19th, 2013. Sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. On the line with me today, I've got uh, the amazing American carver, Mr. Wayne Typen. Wayne, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me, Ollie. You bet. 
Uh, Wayne, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who is Wayne? Uh, what's your age? Where are you from? Your family, pets, uh, work, things like that. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm 42 years old. Um, I'm, I've been raised and, and live in a small town called Cloverdale, Indiana. Um, I'm a country boy. Uh, I uh, am married and have two daughters and a son, um, 11, 9, and 5. Um, I, my, my real job is uh, as a registered nurse. I work at a hospital in Indianapolis as uh, what's called a house supervisor, which is kind of the, the only thing I can think of to uh, the equivalent of is like a foreman on a construction site. I basically uh, manage the daily operations of the hospital, oversee uh, you know the clinical aspects and, and everything, basically. Uh, it makes me kind of a jack-of-all-trades. So two daughters and a son, 11, 9, and 5. Which one is the boy? Uh, the five-year-old. Yeah, we, we finally had a boy and decided it was time to quit. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to keep going, though, weren't you? <laughs> uh, maybe one more if we didn't have a boy. Maybe. My wife, my wife and I uh, both got started kind of late. Uh, we're 40-year-olds with a five-year-old, so <laughs> so we're, the, the clock was ticking there. We didn't have a whole lot of time left. How are your daughters adjusting to a five-year-old boy in the house? Not too bad. I mean, it's... it's it's <laughs> they're always at each other you know it's it's one of those things uh especially my middle daughter my oldest daughter she's she's uh the responsible one so she's not uh uh she gets along pretty good with joel um but my middle daughter and joel kind of have a love-hate relationship you know you know one minute they'll be quiet as can be playing perfect and then the next minute they're at each other so yeah i, I can imagine I there might be some tension in there somewhere so <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know i um I grew up um, with an older sister and an older brother. My my sister was five years older than me, and my brother was seven years older than me. Um, so uh, my brother and my sister, since they were only a couple years apart, they fought a lot, man. They fought like cats and dogs. Um, but I, I was so young, I kind of got to stay out of it and, and, and at least try to stay out of it, you know. I was so young. But, um, yeah, it's always interesting to see how all that pans out, you know. And I got two right. boys now, uh, eight and ten, and and usually they're uh, just fantastic. But you know, every so often, man, it's, it gets a little rough. Yeah, it does here too. <laughs> well, tell me about your uh, your nursing. How long have you been doing that? Uh, gosh, let's see. I, I've been a nurse since '98, um, so I've been doing it for a long time. Um, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, started out. Um, working on just a regular surgical floor. Um, I've worked in the ICU. I've done a little bit of work in the emergency departments. Um, fairly early on in my nursing career, I got promoted into management. Um, just kind of worked my way up um, through that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I it, to me, to me, talk to me. My my career is is boring. Um, I guess it's a little interesting to some people um what got you, what got you into it to begin with uh you know that's it, weird i i i got into it kind of late uh in my life uh, i was 28 i think when i got my degree um i started out of high school 
um, just kind of floundering, uh, you know, trying to find myself what I wanted to do. I had no idea. I joined the military um, when I was 20, um, joined the Army Reserves um, with the in, uh, intent of getting financial assistance for college. Still didn't know what I wanted to be when I went to college, but that was kind of the plan. Um, my mom is a nurse. Uh, my older sister is a nurse. We've got quite a few nurses in the family. Um, I had another cousin who was who's a, a, a male um, who was going to school to get his nursing degree, and I kind of thought that was interesting. Never really considered it before, but you know, I always I, in in between all of that, I was I worked a lot of construction jobs. I've done electrical work. I've done uh, carpeting. I've done tile. I've done masonry. I've done everything. You know, hopped around and done the typical things that guys are supposed to do as a career. Um, and just never, never was satisfied with it. Um, I always felt like, uh, I, I, I needed a, a job that I felt satisfied, a, a, a big picture, um, you know, uh, purpose, I guess. And so I ended up deciding to check out nursing and, and liked it. Um, initially, actually, when I went to, to college, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, turned out that required more commitment than I, I really had time for, especially, or at least I felt at the time that I had time for because I was starting college later than most people do. Um, so, I, so I opted for this, um, decided that I really, you know, a, a physician, a, being a doctor requires, that's, that's, a, that's, that's not just a job. I mean, that's a life, you know. It requires so much of you, you don't have a whole lot of time to yourself outside of your job. Whereas nursing uh, still... Um, put me in a field that I was interested in, um, you know, helping people, um, and, and uh, you know, the human anatomy and that sort of thing. Um, uh, but at the same time, when I left work, I I could leave work at work, or at least so I thought. So, yeah, yeah. What? It, gosh, you've seen so many different levels within nursing. What's and maybe you can't tell me this, but you know what's one of the craziest things you've come across in, in your many years of nursing? <laughs> you've got to have some crazy stories. Oh yeah, I've got lots of them. I'm trying to think of one I could tell you without violating some sort of confidentiality thing. I mean, I, I've I've had uh, that psych. You know, psychiatric patients are probably the the most challenging um, in this day and age because. Um, they're just, uh, you know, when Reagan was president, I, I, I love Ronald Reagan, but one of the, uh, bad decisions that, uh, politically that Ronald Reagan did was did away with basically mental health in the United States. And so where we're at now, we're left with folks that suffer from psychiatric disorders. They have, they, they have nowhere to go to be treated for the most part. Um, so they're out on our streets, whether we know it or not. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. Um, but they blend in pretty well for the most part. But, you know, when they require care or when their, their psych, psychiatric disorders are, are at their worst, they get picked up by the police. They bring them into the hospital. And, you know, we're kind of left with what, what do you do with them, you know? And so you treat them medically and then you put them back out on the street. But um, I, I've, had, uh, I've, I've had situations where you have, you know, schizophrenics who uh, – who, are off of their medications for whatever reason, either they can't afford them or whatever, who are combative. Um, and uh, I would say probably, you know, trying to subdue those people so that you can treat them 
um, are, are some of the crazier uh, situations. So yeah, I, I've 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 had to wrestle a few. <laughs> you know, I I bet you know when you have to wrestle a few. I, I've met you in person. I bet your staff is like, thank God Wayne's around. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, you know it's funny because I, I'm an administrator at the hospital, and you know I, I wear the the white lab coat and I look official and all that stuff. And when you <laughs> When you have to take off the lab coat to go in and wrestle somebody, so you can put them in four way restraint, so you can get them medicine to to get get them, you know, out of the miserable state that they're in. You know, it, it, yeah, people people are a little taken aback, but you know, that's one of the things. Being a man in nursing, you get called to do a lot of those kind of things. You know, where you need a little bit of muscle. So sure, I bet so. <laughs> Gosh, I bet it puts a totally different perspective on when you have to give your kids cough medicine. You know? <laughs> yeah. You're like, Shh, this is easy. You oh, don't know yeah. what I did today. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh man! All right, let's get into your pipes, man. Um, when did you first start? Um, first of all, smoking pipes or collecting pipes or whatever. Uh, I first started in 2007, actually. Um, and it's kind of a, I, I, every time I hear somebody tell the story of how they got started in pipes, it always seems so cliche and mine is too. Um, I, I'm a big backpacker and hiker. I like the outdoors. Um, I, I, I generally go on at least one, um, week long to two week long trip every year to hike a section of the Appalachian trail and sometimes other places. Um, and the group of guys that I went with one year decided that, uh, and I guess it was in 2007 when we went on our hike, um, they decided to stop when we were gassing up on the way uh, out east to grab some cigars. They thought it'd be a cool idea to sit around the camps, campfire and, you know, smoke cigars. Um, and so we all picked up cigars. I, and I, I've never, I, I, I've been a, a cigarette smoker um, in my early years. Um, but I never really got into cigars. Um, never really acquired a taste for them. Um, but I, I went along with it anyway, just because, you know, that's a cool thing for a bunch of guys to do, sit around a fire and smoke cigars. Right. So, so we did that and it was good. I mean, I, I, I no, can't complain, but I never really liked the taste. Well, on the way home, uh, we were right, we were driving, uh, in my vehicle that has a DVD player and, um, and just reflecting on the, the week's trip, you know, um, and uh, we were happened to happened to be watching one of the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, big surprise there. Um, and it was at the the scene um, with Gandalf smoking his pipe, and and uh, it just popped into my head. Hey, you know, it, because I've always been kind of nostalgic anyway in my taste. I like old movies, and in old movies, most of the you can usually see at least one person smoking a pipe. And I thought, yeah, you know, it was kind of an aha moment. You know, I don't particularly care for cigars that much maybe next time i can take a pipe or whatever so you know that kind of planted the idea into my head and and when i got home i asked my wife about it. i said you know the guys picked up cigars and uh wanted to sit around the fire and smoke cigars but i never really gotten into cigars what do you think about this and uh, she was like yeah sure whatever i don't think she really <laughs> i don't think she really realized what she was agreeing to <laughs> so uh yeah, and it just took off from there, you know. And I, I'm the kind of guy that uh, when I when I get passionate about something or I get a new idea into my head, I, I just I I don't do it just a little bit. I like run with it and do it full blast, you know. It's like I don't I don't just 
go out and buy a Dr. Graybo and some Captain Black and I'm good with that. And that's all, that's all I need. Next thing you know, I'm spending hundreds of dollars on artisan pipes and trying every tobacco I can get my hands on and, you know, just getting carried away with it. So, uh, so from 2007, when you first, uh, looked into, to actually getting a pipe, smoking a pipe, all that kind of stuff, at what point did you actually decide, you know what, I'm going to try to carve my first pipe, and, and what was that like? Well, you know, being being the the guy that gets carried away with everything, it wasn't long after. It's actually, actually was uh, the fall of 2000. No, and I take that back. It was the spring of 2008. I decided to buy uh, a, a pre-drilled kit from Pimo um, Pipecraft and decided, you know, obviously, you know, I, I'm buying all these pipes, buying all this tobacco. Well, heck, why not? Uh, why not make my own pipe, right? Seems uh, logical to me, anyway. And uh, so, yeah, in 2008, I, I tried my hand at it, made a, a hideous um, bent billiard, um, but enjoyed the process so much. And 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 that first pipe, I, I just used uh, uh, a Dremel kit and um, some files and rasps and sandpaper, and and that was pretty much it. But I loved the process of it so much and creating uh, something, um, and uh, it, it allowed me to to express myself artistically, which I've always had some artistic ability my whole life, but never um, never really pursued it um, formally in anything. So, so when did you start making pipes as more than just a hobby? Based on you know, uh, you went to Pimo, you got the block, you started messing around that way. But at some point, you know, when did you start to, uh, you know, buy blocks and start working on this in a different way as something bigger? Right. Uh, it was gradual for me. Um, I, I, if I remember correctly, I, I think I bought another pre-drilled block from a different um, source. Um, didn't like how it was drilled, so. Uh, because it because I didn't like not having control over how it was drilled, I think my very next pipe was one that I drilled myself. So I bought you know the very basic cheapest uh, tooling that I could to accomplish that. And I think the first thing I bought was uh, a bench top drill press, which was horrible for the task, but it it got me through a couple pipes before I bought a stand up drill press. And you know just like a lot of pipe makers from there. Uh, just acquired better, more expensive tools. And, you know, just over time with each step and the next tool that you buy, that's better than the one you had before. Um, you know, your, your work improves, I think naturally. And where did you, where did you learn those things from how to drill out a pipe stuff like that? Uh, the, you know, when I decided I was going to make a pipe, I, I researched the internet, you know, it's, it's weird. You know, I, I don't know that there's, there's hardly such thing as an autodidact these days, you know, because there's so much information on the internet these days. Any anybody can at least learn the process, whether they're good at it or not, is a different thing. But you can learn how to do just about anything. So, yeah, I hit to the internet. Um, very first site that I found was uh, Tyler Beard's old site um, when he had uh, some of the instructional stuff on there. Um, so I learned a lot of it from the videos that he posted there. And then from there, I believe, I, I want to say he had a link to Pipemakers Forum there or something to that effect. So then I found Pipemakers Forum and, 
you know, asked a bunch of questions, did a bunch of research and diving into the archives there um, and just basically taught myself based on what I had learned on the Internet. So um, that's where I went from there. Now, since then, I've I've and I still kind of work a little bit in a silo. And in some ways, that's good. In some ways, that that's bad. But uh, this past year, I got the opportunity. I was invited over to Premalcheta's uh, shop, um, Smokers Haven, and got to spend some time with he and Bill Shalosky. And I plan on going back because it was a great experience. And I really feel like um, just spending a little bit of time with those guys really uh, was an aha for me and a big step in the quality of my work, I think, especially as it pertains to STEM airways um, and and that whole process. Besides Primmel and Bill, um, did you have some other early influences? Uh, I think influences aesthetically, um, definitely Everson's, uh, Sixton Lars and Nana. Uh, I, you know, I would get on the internet um, and just look at pipes for hours and hours before I ever even made a pipe. And even since then, I still get on there and just uh, look at at all the amazing stuff that people are putting out. Um, and creating, um, so I, I, I have a, I have a tendency towards the Danish, uh, shaping. I like the, the, the curves and the, the feminine lines and, and just the soft, uh, feel of the Danish work, um, and how, uh, the, their composition is. So my stuff tends to, to lean towards that anyway. Um, another one is Rad Davis, which I, I feel he's kind of an extension of the Danish, uh, shaping anyway. Um, very, his work is very similar, I think, to Everson's. Um, so, uh, a a weird thing though, early on, and it doesn't influence my work too much, but maybe in very slight ways is a huge fan of Stephen Downey's work early on, especially he and Trevor Talbert and the crazy things that they were doing. Now my work doesn't tend to be too crazy. Sometimes I'll, I'll do something that's really out there, um, but not too far. Um, and I think you can see it in some of the pieces that I've made. Um, uh, but uh, I've always been in awe of their work and the craftsmanship that goes into those kind of things. And you can see some element, elements in the design of my work, I think, a little bit there. So I'd say those are probably the, the biggest ones. Yeah, I can definitely see a, a little bit of um, not just a, a Danish style there in some of your work, but a little bit of a flair for something that's kind of Talbert-esque. Right. Um, at least on some of the pieces. Really interesting stuff. Um, and, and for those of you listening along, go to um, typeandpipes.com, so T-E-I-P-E-N pipes.com, and check out the gallery there. Check out what uh, Wayne's got going on, and, and you can see lots of stuff right there on his site um, as you listen to the podcast. So... Um, Besides your your earliest influences, um, let's talk about style and how that's changed since you started. Do you feel like um, you began in in kind of one vein and and have come to a a, a different style since then? Um, yeah, you know, I think the, the, the funny thing i i i, I kind of wear uh, i, I kind of wear everything on my sleeve. I mean, my, my, my life's kind of an open book and, um, on my website, I, I, I pretty much post everything, you know, even my early stuff that I'm a little bit embarrassed of, 
uh, is, is some of that stuff's on there. Um, but I find it interesting um, being a member on the Pipe Makers Forum. You'll see that a lot. The new pipe makers will come on and they'll want to make this crazy, um, crazy thing that nobody's ever made, and they're gonna, you know, hit the scene, um, you know, like like a storm and and do these crazy things. And I I, I think I started out that way also. Um, just had these crazy chaotic ideas in my head, but they were not well put together. And so I did did some of the crazy stuff early on. Um, um, just kind of exploring, seeing what exactly my style is. And I think I'm still doing that. I haven't really been doing it that long. My, uh, output isn't, isn't that high. Um, um, mostly because I do it part time, um, or even, I guess maybe even as, as a hobby, even still, um, productivity wise. Um, so I'm still evolving. Um, I think the last couple of years, uh, things have kind of settled down a little bit. I'm starting to develop a little bit more of a, a style of my own. Um, some people tell me that I have a definite style, but I, I still don't see it, mostly probably just due to my inexperience. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it, inevitably, I think a pipe maker's style um, uh, changes and evolves early on anyway just naturally as you learn to do things and to do things more efficiently and to do things better mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's definitely it's definitely still in an evolution how are your pipes marked and graded and and has that changed since you began um I, my pipes are stamped um well it's changed since since i began when i first started i i did a very crude uh just used a WT um, and then the pipe number. Um, and then I, th- I believe I did the two digit pipe number or, th- uh, well, at that time it was only two digits. Um, and then the last, uh, it was a four digit number. The last two digits was the year. Um, you know, I did that mostly because I had the money to buy a nice stamp. Um, now I, I have a stamp, it's stamped typing, um, handmade. And then under that is the year. I have a grading system, but it's informal. I don't stamp uh, my grading system on my pipes. I use it um, just solely for my own pricing purposes so that there's some logic to how I price my pipes. I see that um, there's a a couple different styles that that seem to be, um, I guess, more unique to me when I I see your work. And uh, one of those is is this uh, bulldog that has kind of a, elongated cap and then there's also uh, a, a kind of sitter um, style that that is really interesting because I expect this curve to keep going and it it stops right at the table and goes straight across it's really interesting to me um, I've seen a couple of those that you've done I don't, th- I don't know, maybe the other one isn't um, in the gallery I'm looking at I remember seeing it at the Chicago show but anyway, there's uh, this really wonderful kind of uh, sitter that seems to maybe pop up uh, now and again that that you do that looks very unique to me and very uh, very interesting. You like sitters quite a bit, or or bulldogs, or uh, in my own collection, I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty mundane. I like billiards, usually bent, quarter bent mostly. I have a couple half bents. Um, and bulldogs and Rhodesians, um, those make up 
probably the bulk of my own personal collection. Um, now, the sitter that you're talking about is that uh, is that the Dublin shaped bowl, or is that the the crazy Mad Hatter looking cherry wood? Yeah, it's the it's the Dublin one. The Dublin, okay, yeah, I've, I think I've made a couple of those. Um, one a couple years ago, if I remember correct, um, and then uh, the one for the Kansas City Pipe Contest this year. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't have a lot of sitters in my personal collection, to be honest with you. Um, and uh, I think the probably the biggest thing, uh, the reason I came up with those, maybe I, to be honest with you, I don't know, um, but maybe because. It seems like uh, there's a, a market for sitters, um, especially the cherry woods and pokers. But to me, cherry woods and pokers can be very boring. Um, so I just kind of put a spin on it. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know where I, know, know where those came from. I just came up with the idea. <laughs> really interesting stuff. What What would you say is the most enjoyable part of pipe making to you? You know, for me, uh, I think, what I'm most drawn to is it's kind of like, uh, and I can relate it to the only other place I can think of that I get this same, um, experience is when I'm backpacking and I'm hiking and you're hiking for hours on end and miles on end and just one foot in front of the other. And what, after you're out there for a couple of days, you, your mind stops thinking, it stops racing, it slows down. It, it's not thinking about work. It's not thinking about, you know, bills. It's not thinking about uh, politics. It's thinking about putting one foot in front of the other, looking around and and just enjoying where you're at in the moment. And um, for me, when I'm making pipes, uh, I get in that zone, um, especially in the shaping of a pipe. Um, it, you just start working, and it's just the same uh motions kind of over and over and you're looking and focusing so intensely that you just tune out the rest of the world um and it's kind of like an escape for me you know you you just kind of go off into your own little world and 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 get lost in in just the process and the creation yeah, time flies in the in the shop, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, hours go by. I mean, there's been times when I'll I'll be working on the shop. Next thing I know, it's the next morning, and I'm like, "Whoa, wait a minute, what happened?" <laughs> well, I'm just completely zoned out. It's almost like a dissociative fugue. You just <laughs> find yourself somewhere you weren't expecting. Yeah, it's bizarre, really. That's a that's a like great it. way to explain it. I like. That. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, how do you start your pipe making process? Do you start on paper or uh, on the block or something else? Uh, it depends. I, I've done it both ways. Um, uh, you know, you, sometimes when you're just uh, doing whatever, you're you, you wake up in the morning or you're doing something just out for a stroll or smoking your pipe, and a, a an idea pops into your head. Sometimes I'll I'll put it down on paper so I don't forget it. So sometimes I will sketch out just a, a basic concept. Um, I like to draw. I like to sketch anyway. So uh, I do like sometimes just to sit down and uh, and draw out some ideas. Um, and sometimes I'll just uh, transfer those onto a block uh, of briar, depending on what the shape is. But the, the hard part about that 
uh, for me is, you know, you want to, you want to choose a block that accentuate the grain accentuates the shape. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of hard unless you have thousands and thousands of blocks of briar, you know, to choose from, which I don't, I have probably more like in a couple hundred. Um, and so, uh, most of the time I'll, I'll grab a block and, and I'll turn it around and look at it and study the, the grain and, and, uh, and sometimes it'll speak to me and I'll see the shape there and sometimes it won't and I'll set it down and, and pick it up another day or, you know, sometimes I'll be working in the shop and, you know, my, my blocks kind of sit out where I can see them all anyway on a shelf, um, and I'll pass by it, um, and, you know, just out of the, your peripheral vision and, and it, it just hits you, you know, like a Mack truck. Hey, look at that. You know, and you see the shape in there and it's just a, you're inspired by it all of a sudden. And and so you go with it. So, uh, yeah, it just kind of depends. Most of the time these days anyway, early on, I think uh, I, I probably did a lot more sketching out on the block. Um, these days uh, I've been kind of transitioning more to the shape first, drill second. I still do a little bit of both depending on the shape, though. Um, but yeah, I think both, I think it just, it just depends on the block and, and what's going on in my head at the moment. Do you do commissions? Uh, I do selectively. I mean, a funny thing about commissions and, and I have a, I have a luxury in how I approach pipe making cause I don't do it for income. I do it most, mostly just to be creative and because I just love pipes and I love making them. Um, I have the luxury of, of not having to have uh, to, to have commissions for, uh, income. So the way I approach it is if somebody pitches me an idea and I'm totally into it, um, then yeah, I'm all over it. Um, you know, I'm not very good at the, can you make me a, a rad Davis, um, bulldog? I'm, you know, to me, if you want a Rad Davis bulldog, Rad Davis does it better than I do. So, (laughs) so, you know, so I, I, those kind of, those kind of commissions I I turn down. Um, and you know, some, sometimes I just don't fill the project. I just, uh, it's not there. It's just not clicking. It has to click for me. Otherwise I'm not going to do it any, I'll do it a disservice, you know, Mm -hmm. I just won't do a good job. And that's not why I want to make pipes. Have you ever made a pipe that was really hard to let go? Uh, not too often. You know, one of the, one of the great joys for me of making a pipe, uh, or making pipes is that someone else is going to smoke it and enjoy it. And, and, and all the things associated with the hobby for that person, you know, and just, I, I have great pride in knowing that, 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 uh, that, that that's occurring with something that I've created. Um, I can think of, and to be honest with you, the only pipe um, that I can think of over the years um, that I've had even an inkling of wanting to keep for myself is um, the Kansas City contest pipe. And I won't keep it. I'll, I'll, I'll still let it go, uh, mostly because the tobacco, it's a Dublin, so the tobacco chamber is conical, and I prefer um, I f- prefer cylindrical tobacco chamber. So, But I, I just love that pipe. What particular shape of pipe do you like to smoke, and do you find yourself making more of those shapes? Uh, it's definitely the billiard. I do make a lot of billiards. I love the billiard shape, personally. Um, I love making it. It's a lot more difficult than it appears that it is because it seems kind of ordinary, uh, typically. Um, but I like to put spins on things. I don't like uh, – I, I appreciate traditional shapes, and I smoke mostly traditionally shaped pipes. Um, 
on a on a daily basis. Um, but uh, I like to put a little spin on it. I like the challenge of making things that people look at and say, well, how in the heck did he do that? You know, that doesn't seem, I like creating illusions sometimes of uh, shapes that shouldn't be able to be drilled, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's attractive to me. And the challenge of that um, attracts me. Um, and then uh, also the, the bulldog and Rhodesian shapes. I do a fair amount of those, although I hate doing diamond shanks. So a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my my bulldog shapes are of the different uh, definition of a bulldog, where because you have the round the round versus diamond shank of Rhodesian bulldog, but then there's another school that de- defines a bulldog as a taller uh, bold or um, uh, the the top half of the uh, bulldog being taller instead of shorter like the Rhodesian. So, you know, there's two different schools of what defines those shapes. Um, but I, I tend to prefer the taller bull shape being the bulldog shape in, in some of my, although they're both perfectly acceptable. But my shanks aren't, uh, are sometimes more of a triangle sort of shape or, uh, or something different, more like, uh, like uh, Carson Tarp, his bulldogs, if you're familiar I really like the shanks on his, and probably one of my favorite pipes in my collection is a, a Carson Tarp Bulldog um, that he did particularly well. What are some of your favorite tobaccos? Uh, I'm a, I am like Virginias, um, and especially red Virginias. I've got a little bit of a sweet tooth, so I really like McClellan's and McCraney's um, and some of the Peter Stokeby stuff. Um, like luxury bullseye flake and navy flake, um, but I'm mostly I would say I would say more than anything McClellan's Virginias. Um, I love Blackwood's flake, uh, probably one of my favorites. I always buy several tins of the Christmas cheer every year, um, uh, and then McCraney's red ribbon, uh, one of my huge favorites. Um, but I also like another huge favorite of mine is an aromatic uh, Reiner's Professional. Love that stuff. Um, so, yeah. What is uh, coming up in your workshop that you're really excited about? You know, right now I've been kind of consumed by a, a, a large project. Um, it's a club pipe for the Christian Pipe Smokers Forum um, that I'm trying to get finished up, uh, hopefully, since it's the 2013 Pipe. Hopefully, I can get it done in 2013. Um, but I'm trying to get that done. So it's kind of been consuming all of my pipe making time. Um, uh, so not a whole lot. I'm, I, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. I'm excited about getting that done so I can actually create some of the ideas I've got in my head. Um, that's probably the, the biggest exciting thing right now. Tell me one thing about yourself that most people don't know or would never guess. Oh gosh, uh, gosh, that's a tough one. I, I, I think of my when I think of myself, I think of, I'm pretty ordinary. <laughs> um, probably the biggest thing is related to my career. I'm a, uh, I, I am especially gifted at ultrasound guided vascular access, um, and basically, in layman's terms, that's starting your IV and and drawing your blood with. Uh, an ultrasound machine um, uh, for for folks that have experienced that uh, pro- and and have 
bad experience with that can probably relate. Um, I, I can do it in one stick, um, which is kind of unusual. Um, I just don't miss. Um, I also insert to what's called, and this is terribly boring. I can't believe I'm telling you this. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, I, I put in, uh, I put in uh, what are called pick lines, which is uh, a tube that goes in through the arm and the tip stops at uh, the what's called the superior vena cava, which is the vessel just before the heart um, for long-term IV access. Do you ever- I can give you a better uh, story that's not so boring. Um, I used to be, uh, I used, I, I, when I was, uh, let's see, when I was a late teenager, I probably was uh, 19, I guess, 19 or 20, I was Smokey the Bear. Probably the world's shortest because I'm only... <laughs> Only five foot nine, but that that the Smokey the Bear outfit is one size fits all. So you, know, you just gotta you just gotta if you're shorter, you just gotta add extra rolls to the the, the jeans. Right, so. right. <laughs> so how old were you when you played Smokey the Bear? Uh, nineteen or twenty. Yeah, yeah. I worked I worked for a park that's not too far from where I live uh, when I was a teenager. So yeah, we go to the we go to the elementary schools and. Do the Smokey, Smokey the Bear talks and stuff. Right, pros and cons of being Smokey the Bear. Well, I'll tell you what, funny story. Uh, you got time to, to hear a funny story? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's kind of a visual story, but I'll try to do it some justice since you can't really see me um, because you have to kind of see the, the, the stance that I had to assume. Okay, there's two rules to Smokey, really, and, and only two rules. One is that Smokey doesn't talk, right? And two is Smokey's helper never leaves Smokey's side. Um, and the reason is because you just have this little tiny um, black hole at the mouth of Smokey's head. It's one of those big amusement park character heads, right? And Smokey can't see very well. And on top of that, Smokey has these big furry shoe things for feet um, on, on, on his feet. So you can't walk <laughs> around very well either. Well, I worked at this park, and Smokey would be driven around by Smokey's helper in a golf cart. And at this park, there's a, it's at a lake, and there was a beach. And Smokey would go down to the beach and collect the kids that are playing in the in the lake and on the beach to to give the don't play with matches uh, speech spiel. And on this particular day, um, we went down there, and there weren't a whole lot of uh, kids down there. And uh, so we Smokey Smokey got out of the golf cart, and we stood under the shelter there at the beach. And uh, Smokey's helper um, violated one of the rules of Smokey. And left Smokey's side and went down to the waterfront to collect some kids that were playing down there. On this particular day, um, a group of um, of uh, mentally handicapped were at the beach, and there was this one girl who was probably, I would guess, in her probably about fourteen or fifteen, um, really excited that Smokey was there. Um, uh, was you know uh, doing her thing and decided she would would take her towel and snap Smokey with it, you know, <laughs> with, a, with a beach towel. And so I'm just kind of def- trying to deflect the, and not say anything with my hands. And, uh, you know, all, the whole time I'm thinking, where's Gloria, Smokey's helper, um, looking around trying to see where she's at. Does she see what's going on? Yeah, that's a, that's a clear violation. Go ahead. Clear violation. Right. And so, um, and so eventually the girl gave up and she disappeared um, I thought, oh, thank God, that, that's over, no big deal. Next thing I know, this girl jumps on Smokey's back, 
here I am standing in the sand with these huge feet on with this head that I can't see. And this girl, she wasn't a little girl. She was a good-sized girl, jumps on my back. And so I'm trying to keep myself upright and keep from falling in on my face. The head spins sideways. <laughs> so I can't see what's going on. And so what? I, the only thing I had left to do was violate the second rule of Smokey the Bear. <laughs> So I'm yelling, Gloria, you know, to try to get her back up here to get this kid off my back. So, yeah, that, that's my smoking. <laughs> so <laughs> we've laugh, got we've got both violations in full effect. That's right. <laughs> we've got so Smokey yelling Gloria. Needless, yeah, needless to say, I wasn't the best Smokey the Bear. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If, if I were, you know, to help you out a little bit, if I were a, a guy just standing by, I might think that that Smokey was having so much fun that he was maybe trying to sing Gloria the song. There you so, go. so honestly, I think you're clear. I think it was really okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that yeah, man, that's that's quite a story. So, yeah, it's a little bit more interesting than uh, starting IVs, I think. Maybe. Well, you know what about the IV thing? You're probably a, a much more careful pipe maker than a lot of people because you've got the sense of, gosh, if I go too far, I'm I'm going to hit someone's heart kind of thing, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's a very very precise, and that's a good point actually. Uh, ultrasound guided um, um, IV therapy is a very precise thing. I mean, I can I can access tiny veins, you know, with uh, with whatever needle. Um, and it kind of speaks to an attention to detail and precision um, that I do carry into my pipes, um, especially the engineering um, and the fit and finish. So yeah, yeah, I suppose. So when when you went over to to uh, Primal and and Bills, did you look around for an ultrasound machine? You're like, what are you what <laughs> you, are know, you guys doing with that on ultrasound machine? <laughs> but funny thing about that, uh, and don't tell my employer, but I did take a block of briar into work to see if the ultrasound machine would show me where the flaws are. <laughs> it didn't. <work. laughs> it's too dense, and the machine wasn't powerful enough. But uh, yeah, you know, I tried. You know that that would it, it's too bad that didn't work first of all. But it, oh no, how cool! You know, that good be? good for you for for giving it a, a whirl. Did did you have to actually um, lube the poor briar first before? Uh, you... Actually, I I used it. I used a little uh, uh, some saran wrap between the lube and the briar. So okay, yeah, wrap it in saran wrap, then put the lube against the the saran wrap. Does the same thing basically. No twins, no nothing. No, nothing, nothing at all. I know, I was disappointed. <laughs> all right, Wayne, where can we uh, purchase your beautiful pipes? Uh, they can uh, be purchased on my website at uh, Type and Pipes, and that's Type and T E I P E N Pipes. Um, it's not spelled like it sounds. Um, dot com. Uh, the Pipe Guys at the Pipe Guys dot com also carry my uh, pipes as well as Pipes and Cigars dot com. Excellent. Well, Wayne, it's been great, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to hang out and chat with me today. Hey, I really appreciate you having me, Oli. You bet, buddy. We'll chat soon, all right? All right. Take care, buddy. You too, bud. Bye. And that was my chat with American pipe maker Wayne Typen, a real talent as well as an all-around good guy. I highly suggest you seek out his work right this moment. Really good stuff. Don't forget, this podcast is made possible by... 
pipesandcigars.com have you signed up for their email announcements. You should do that. I really like the regular notifications when they get in some new shipment of product or tobacco. I don't care what you're looking for. You are going to find it and love it over at pipesandcigars.com. Go check them out and let me know what you find over there. Grab something today. This is Oli for Oompal.com wishing you very good luck deciding which Wayne Typen pipe will be next in your collection. Thank you.